Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tabletop for Two podcast. I'm Brad Van Vutt. I'm Emily Van Vutt. And we are uh, we're back again. Um, another productive week. Two weeks, I should say, for us. Even though he works in retail, we managed to squeeze in a few. We did. We, we have a lot of new stuff to talk about. <laughs> At the um, back end of the show, we're also going to discuss our 2015 um, two-player like games of the year, basically. So different... Um, not awards, but like different things we'd recommend from 2015 in, in a variety of different categories, including our overall game of the year for 2015. Um, so stay tuned for that. But uh, before we get into the main show, uh, just a reminder of where you can find us. Um, you can talk with us online on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Tabletop for Two for all of those. Um, you can also subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Pocket Casts, um, and soon to be Google Play Music. And um, yeah, so let's get right into it. So. I always enjoy when Kickstarter games that I forget are coming show up kind of out of the blue. And uh, a couple week or so ago, we got a package containing both Wombat Rescue and Xenon Profiteer from Eagle Griffin. Um, we'll talk about Wombat Rescue first because uh, this was one that you were quite taken with when we opened the. I was. I wanted to play this when we went to Unpub, and we never got a chance to because I'm like, oh my god, that looks so adorable, and yeah. And so you wombat, and you have to rescue your baby wombats, yep. and you poop. <laughs> yeah, so that's so the the, the premise is you're a um, you're a mama wombat who whose babies have I can't remember if they ran away or something, but they're scattered across a board, um, and each player is trying to get all four of their babies back, uh, and the first person to do that will win the game. Um, but wombats are apparently notoriously known for having really poor vision, mm -hmm. um, so that the way that they get around and the way they navigate is by through scent, and the way what they smell is their poop. And apparently wombats actually poop in a cube form, which I did not know before really? I heard about this game. That's yeah, hilarious. So We can call it scat. Sure. Because when, when you're out in the wild, it's scat tracks that you follow. Oh, is it? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah, so in this game... Um, you play as a wombat trying to navigate around this board. Um, there's various different types of moves you can do, but basically... And there's a mean old dingo out there trying to eat your babies. Well, he's trying to get you, really. Trying to knock you. He's mm -hmm. There's a dingo that kind of, if, if he lands on you, you lose the baby that you're carrying, and you also get sent back to the home space on the board. Uh, but on, on, your, on your turn, you get to make three movements. Uh, but the type of movement you can do depends on how... How good your sense, your 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 range of smell is, basically. Yeah. And uh, during the game, you'll eat food, and that food will make its way through your digestive tract, um, and eventually, will you'll poop it out, and that creates a poop cube on the board, and the poop cube basically gives you like a smell radius that lets you kind of freely move in that radius um, while the poop's on the board. <laughs> well, what? I'm sorry. We haven't talked as much about poop since our kid was born. Okay? Well, that's true. That's what it is. That's what's so, me up. So, but you're so essentially you're trying to chain these these poop cubes together through the board um, to create basically a wide scent of smell for yourself. And the more poop cubes you have on a space, the wider your range of smell too. Right, and because that because basically as long as you can as long as you can move through an area where you can smell your poop, you can move in as many spaces as you want to and in a straight line one for move. one movement. Yeah. Otherwise you kind of have to, um, you can also move directly toward food or towards your babies. If they're, if you're adjacent to one of those spaces, um, if not, you have to draw, um, what's a called a wander card. card. Yeah. And that's basically you draw a card. And if there's a terrain type that matches the card, um, next to you, you move into that space because you're kind of wandering around. Um, there's also like special one-shot abilities that you get during the game as well. Um, 
And this was uh, this was a really enjoyable game, really it was easy really to learn. Fun. Yeah. I loved it. Um, I enjoyed the extra strategy because one player actually controls the dingo, and each at the end of each round, after every player's moved once, um, that player gets to move the dingo. They roll the die, and the dingo moves that many spaces towards the closest wombat. But if there's if the wombats are equidistant, or if there's a different path the dingo can take, the, that player has control. So if you're moving towards your opponent, you can move in such a way to like cut them off from something, or you know, you can use the dingo strategically, and and control of that gets passed around um, whenever he captures a wombat on the board. So yeah, wombat rescue is a lot of fun. Um, I also have to make a special mention of we've gotten a couple eagle griffin. Kickstarters this year. We got Wombat Rescue, Xenoprop here. We also got the Gallerists as well. Their production value with their Kickstarters this year has been like off the charts. Like the game, Wombat Rescue here has really thick tiles. Um, it's got um, you know, wooden, you know, Wombat and Dingo pieces that have art screened on them as well. Um, you know, the wooden disc for the food with stickers as well. Just really top notch, nice insert with a lid on it too so that the pieces don't scatter about. That's been a really enjoyable uh thing to get Eagle Griffin Kickstarters this year, I'd say. Well you are all about the components. I am. <laughs> hey, I you know, I, I appreciate a, a nice package. Because like I said, it takes a takes a good game and, and enhances it a little bit more, I think. So Yeah. Well you also are a little crazy about the storage of said game too. So it's true. Um next on our list, one we've had for quite some time, Tournay. Um, it's in the, what's the other one like, that we have? We have like, it's like a sister game to Twa basically, but it plays yeah. nothing like it. No. Just in, it's just the same setting. And same art style and yeah. all that good fun stuff. Yep. So this is a, um, whereas Twa is like a, like a, you know, dice action game, basically. Yeah. This is a tableau building game. So you have, you have the same, you have military cards and, and, uh, church cards and money cards like you do in regular Twa, and they're divided into the three levels as they are in Twa as well. Um, but in this game, you're drawing cards from nine different decks, um, and basically you can take the cards and build them into a three-by-three tableau, and each of the buildings, you can activate them. Once they're built, um, they'll do a special ability. There's also character cards that you can build as well. Um the character cards can't be activated, but they'll enhance cards that are directly adjacent to them. Right, if they have little arrows on them. Like, I had the one where if you placed a certain card, you got an extra dollar or something for every card in the, you know, that was adjacent mm -hmm. to him. I was like, well, that's pretty cool. Yep. And each deck also has a town crier in it. And when the town crier, when you draw that card, um, basically, they just much like in Twa, they have negative, well, possibly negative events. There's some positive events, too. <laughs> but you have events at the top of the board that will then fire off and potentially hamper the well, players. Well, and of course, like, Brad goes first. He takes his turn. And then I take my turn. And I pick up two cards. And he's like, so if you get a town crier. And I was like... I guess that's this card because it doesn't look like, look like anything else. I'm like, of course. But we had it early enough in the game that it really didn't negatively yeah. impact either of us. And then basically you're, you're trying to work up to get they in the level three decks. They have prestige buildings, which are buildings that get not only you, but also your opponent's victory points based on certain conditions mm -hmm. at the end of the game. So you have to play those as strategically as you possibly can. I had the big one. Yeah, you did. But I don't remember what it was, though. I don't know, but I paid $20 for that thing. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they you know variable cost of the buildings and um, Tournay was okay. It's a, it's a hard game to describe from the description. I apologize because it's probably not the greatest uh, insight into how the game is played with that yeah, just now. I don't know how you would. It's it's a tableau builder. Like you draw, you get cards, and 
and you and you put them out in front of you basically um well it's not like where we have pandemic and then we have pandemic the cure mm -hmm. you know you can't just say it's and then no it's not it's, it's definitely game, it's definitely I mean? well and what's funny is that i kind of <laughs> thought that it would be yeah sort of like that um i was actually like i was i, I guess i had the wrong idea i was expecting this to be kind of a lighter quicker but it, experience but it wasn't yeah it actually it took, it took longer than i wanted it to yeah i was gonna say it, it actually overstayed its welcome a little yeah, bit i yeah, think yeah. Agreed. um i mean the gameplay was fun um it was engaging but like you said you get to that point especially in a two-player game of this where like you've been playing for like an hour and you're like, really, wow. We, we thought like 30, 40 minutes for this and mm. it took us, what, like an hour a little more? Yeah, and that, and that was just two players. And I mean, like it, it was the first game, so we were learning. But at the same time, you know, it's I, I think it's longer than it needs to be. Yeah. And I can't I mean, if it took that long with two players, I can't even imagine playing. Oh, yeah. With more. Imagine the downtime you'll have. Yeah. I'm And and I hate to keep comparing it to Twa because like we said, it is a different game. Um, but Twa just kind of has a nicer pace to it. It moves well, a little bit quicker. Same premise, just in a different sort of, kind of, sort of. Uh, I, I don't know. It's hard to describe. Yes, it's definitely hard to describe. Um, but yeah, Tournay. Uh, I'm I'm not the biggest advocate to recommend it. I don't think I'm putting this on the on the shelf with Madam Ching. Oh yeah, you want to? You're ready to just deal it? Yeah. Okay. I didn't really. That's fair. It was, you know, like I said, I know we usually give it like the two playthrough shot. But when someone, when someone, <laughs> when when a game or something, when something overstays its welcome like that mm. for me, I'm just like, nope. I'm sorry. I mean, with us, I mean, we kind of like we used to rule of thumb do two plays, but I think we're we kind of know ourselves well enough to know like if we really don't like something mm -hmm. the first time through, that's gonna go. So what was the one where we had played it once and then we go to play it the second time and we got about oh that was Sumeria. We got like three rounds in i'm just like oh no we didn't even play samaria like samaria we ditched the first through the first play oh yeah we didn't even do the whole yeah, thing we, we, we went like halfway through and i was just like um i'm having zero fun how about you and you're like yeah merchant, merchant of venus was a halfway play the second game yeah version of it so that was because you were having a really bad time that second game though. oh my god anything murphy's law was enacted in that game i swear <laughs> to god anything that could go wrong did go wrong in my favor yeah or not so much not my in your favor. favor i would say yes <sighs> so um so last episode on the show we did a full review of lahav which is a game that we are quite fond of um but recently Especially this guy across from me he is wearing his rosenberg's clay oven shirt as we I speak big house shirt Yes. So, um, but we did recently also pick up Lahav the Inland Port. Um, this is a two-player specific version of Lahav, but um, it's completely different. Yeah, very different game. Like liken it to Agricola, all creatures big and small. I liked it though. I oh liked, yeah, I liked it a lot. No, but like you said, this plays very differently. So this one, it was it's a completely different experience. It has a um. So each player has a personal board, and the board is divided into six like pie pieces basically and there's a dial that moves clockwise for each round and each round um there's going to be an odd number of actions um that each player has to share so like the first round the players share three actions um obviously one player will get to take one more action so it kind of keeps that same feel from the from the original game um but in this one you're going to be buying um different buildings that pop out every round uh new buildings appear um, and you can purchase those buildings and then in subsequent turns you can activate them and in kind of clever way each time the round advances um, 
this little lever moves that's on the player board and in, on the inside part of the dial there's numbers basically there's like a two three four um, and so on and so forth because when you build a building you place it on your board in the current slot that kind of reflects what round it is and then the dial will move so like f- the round after you build a building um, that next round you can activate that building and you can basically activate it twice if you if you wait till the round after that you can activate it three times. Um, if you wait to the round of that, you can activate it four. So basically, the longer you wait, the more you can use the building when you do activate it. Um, but if you wait too long, you end, you end up having to actually sell the building. So you want to be careful um, how long you actually wait on those. But the buildings will have different effects. Um, typically, it's going to be gaining or losing resources in some way whenever you activate these buildings. And the way the resources are tracked on your player board is actually kind of clever because you have a a separate player board that looks like a giant shipping warehouse um and the resources there there's numbers going along the bottom axis and numbers going along the vertical axis on the shipping warehouse and basically when you add the two numbers together that shows how many of that good that you have so when you gain resources you actually move your resource tracker you know in the direction that the building specifies so like if you move it I think it's straight upward. You, it's like gaining three resources. Mm-hmm. If you move it up and to the right, it's like gaining four. Directly to the right, it's like gaining one each. But there's also this puzzle of when you spend resources, you have to note the position of your of your little resource tracker for each resource because you can't go past the left hand side of the board or or below the you know the bottom axis of the board as well. So there's kind of managing that puzzle to maximize your gain when you activate your buildings um, is kind of where the gameplay is. Um, you can also use your opponent's buildings as well. Um, all you have to do is pay them a dollar. It's actually a pretty cheap cost to do yeah, it. Yeah, And sure. potentially derail their plans because when you activate a building, it moves to, to yeah, it moves to the zero <laughs> space and it can't be activated again until the, the following round. round. So and then, you, of course, by that point, it's not as good as it was. Yeah, and it, yeah, especially if you have like a really intricate plan that you're building up to. All right, I'll use this building, and then I'll use this building, and and do these mm-hmm. all sorts of things. Um, you have to be very now wary with of that. this one. When we first started playing, and I started putting my my little buildings in the different slots and whatever, I I I mean, I didn't think that I was going to be able to accomplish as much as I actually did by mm-hmm. the game, the end of the game. You know what I mean? Well, because the first couple rounds, like you won't, you only get to do like one or two actions each round, right. and then you know the next couple rounds after that, you'll get to do two or three, and then three or four, and basically it builds up to I think nine shared actions. So one player yeah. is five, and then the other one is four. Um, also, the different buildings that come out, you know what buildings are going to appear each round in advance, so you can kind of game plan around that as well. So I was actually very surprised that this one was it felt very different from traditional hob and like we've played agricola all creatures big and small not a fan no but and but my point is that that one doesn't steer off too far from agricola like it's kind of like agricola but it takes away some of the superfluous things that you don't want in the game that you can boil it down to reduce the time but this one felt like a completely different game from standard lahav now is it something that you Liked, I mean, I don't think you liked it better than Lahav, but what did your what was your opinions on it? Um, I I enjoyed it because mm. it was a different experience. I mean, if I want to play Lahav, I'm going to play Lahav. But if we don't have the time for Lahav, and mm. this is our, you know, and now we have this as an option, I mean, mm. I'll definitely play it. It's very 
very interesting. Like you said, it's like it's like the the you know Agricola light that we played, mm-hmm. and uh, but I enjoyed this a lot more than I enjoyed that. Now, see, there, my one fear with this one though is that since the buildings come out in the same order every game, and since you like. Obviously, if you're afraid you, we're going to find a best course of action kind well, of thing. Well, no, I'm afraid there won't be enough variety in the game. Like, I'm afraid stale. it's like it's a game where you can kind of plot a similar path each time you play. Um, and I so and I feel like I don't know if I don't know if that's going to jeopardize the replay value or not. I mean, we've only played it one time so far. Um, obviously, when we switch next time, I'm, you know, we'll switch. You'll be the first player, so you'll get to act first and that kind of thing. Um, but I could see it getting samey over time. I don't know if it's going to have the same. Ability to so you think the same it'll be legs. like a copycat kind of thing. No we... copycat. We we could see the we could see that from the first play. Like I think this one will have more legs than that, but I don't know if it's gonna have like forever legs. You know what I mean? Right. Um. So I, I definitely wouldn't recommend getting this over Lahav if you play primarily with two. Like I think Lahav is still something that you Lahav definitely want to get. Fantastic with two. Yeah, so I, I don't. I wouldn't say that. Oh, you know, we we play primarily two players. So should I get an inland port? Well, you 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 should get it. It's a good game, but it's not going to replace Lahav. And you really and you really want that full experience for those times that you can play that longer game. I think so. Lahav the inland port. Um, we recommend it. Um, very different feel. Even if you already have Lahav, it's worth picking up. Just be warned that it might have a limited lifespan yes. on it. So. Um, next on our list was actually something that we received from our BGG Secret Santa. Yes. We got the um, Atlanteans expansion for Imperial Settlers, which is one of our faves. Yeah, I've had this on, on my want list for, for quite some time. Um, this is the first expansion for Imperial Settlers that actually adds a brand new faction to the game, uh, the Atlanteans. Uh, their, their quirk is that they have... Um, these different technologies that you can use and you can place the technologies on your common buildings um, to basically, depending on what type of building you place them on, like if you put them on um, production buildings, they'll, you know, double produce. If you put them on feature buildings, then the feature effect can happen twice. Um, if you put them on your action buildings, you can actually activate that building twice. In but a also round. with these guys, unlike, you know, the regular factions and much like the, the fabled city of Atlantis, mm. uh, their buildings sink at the end of the game, so you have to try and score all your points yeah, they're, during the game instead of at the end. Yeah, their faction buildings don't count at all, so you have to basically only play them when they're going to be most useful for their ability throughout the game. And they, and they do compensate with that. Like So the Atlanteans buildings, a lot of them, whereas the regular factions, they require you to discard one of your built common buildings when you build it. The Atlante- A lot of the Atlanteans buildings did not make that requirement. Like You just had to pay a resource cost to get them in there. That makes sense. Yeah. There's also advanced technologies where basically you can either put an extra shield um, or you can put like a victory point marker on a building and, and having the victory point marker is actually pretty interesting because whenever you use that building, you actually get a victory point straight away just for using it. And that's, that's kind of the, the strategy for the Atlanteans is to get as many points as you can during the game because you're not going to get nearly as many when it's over. Now, do note that it came with cards for all the other factions that add the little technology things mm. so that you can use the technologies with your factions as well. Right, but for other factions, it's just a regular good. Right. Like they can't use the the technology benefits. Right, like right, the right, right, right. Can. But you still, uh, you still get to like the little 
mm. cogs or whatever they are. So I so I was the one that used the Atlanteans when we played. Um, I found the strategies very different from any of the other factions that I've seen. Um, the Atlanteans also have the other, I don't know if you want to call it a drawback, but the other thing about them is they really can't get raise tokens too much during the game unless you get a building that lets you get them. So you really don't have that that you know, reliability to get resources quickly by raising cards out of your hand or by attacking one of your opponent's buildings. Um, and your opponents, and what I found also with the Atlanteans is that a lot of their buildings are so powerful that your opponents are actually more likely to go and raise you. I think Emily went after, attacked my buildings more often than she ever has oh, in yeah. a game of this because I was using them to chain a lot of like really, really cool combos together to yeah, farm a lot of victory points. Had, who did I use? You had the Romans. Yeah, and I could store as many raised tokens mm. as I wanted, so... But I mean, you weren't really axing cards out of your hand at all. You were you were trying you were using them primarily to go after me to break up the like these well oiled machines that His I had going. Point farming monopoly over yeah. there. What yeah, was no. what was it like to play against the Atlanteans? It was a little frustrating. Yeah, because at first, you know, I was trying to figure out. I well, I was trying to get card draws so that I could do something to get more raised tokens. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so his thing is he has to farm points throughout the game. Because you don't get them at the end. And then you're just like left and right getting so I'm like, oh no, this is not gonna <laughs> go well for me. So it was it was a little frustrating because I couldn't get card draws at first, but then once I got my machine rolling, I was good. Mm-hmm. And it was a close game. I think I only won by one point. Something like if that. I'm not mistaken. So I had a lot of All fun. The freaking time. I know, right? We're either one point, <laughs> one to five points away from each other, or we score the same. Yeah, Tornay was a was a tie game. Yeah, and Tournay has no tiebreakers. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, that was a little frustrating. Ugh. But uh, but yeah, the the Atlantis expansion um, definitely a must buy. Whether or not you've gotten the Why Can't We Be Friends expansion, it's good no matter what. Um, yeah, if you have Imperial Settlers, definitely get it. Um, it's it's terrific and like I said, really interesting way to play. And is that play the, the one with the stuff on the box? What do you mean? Remember? When oh, you like, mean on the insert? Yes. If you guys have not, if, if you own this game, I think everybody's seen it yeah, by now. Please look at the insert of this box because it cracked me up when he showed me. Yeah, it's not a secret. The Atlanteans one did not have any any fun Easter eggs, though. Boo. I was looking for him. I pulled it out just to see yeah. if it was on there or not. So the final game, um, we mentioned at the top of the show, we got in a Kickstarter order. So we, we talked about Wombat Rescue. Um, let's talk about Xenon Profiteer. This is a... I don't, Loved it. Yeah, it was great. Um, this is a game from TC Petty, who also did Viva Java, the coffee game, the dice game, um, which we are also big fans of. Um, what would you classify Xenon Profiteer as? I've, I've heard TC say he just calls it a card game. It's not uh, quite a deck builder. I would call it a card game. Yeah, because it's it's got deck not, building elements. But it's also got deck thinning elements. But you're not building your deck. Your ultimate goal is to thin your deck. So mm-hmm. it's a deck thinning game. Right. Shall we say. So the theme is also kind well, of Well, hold on. Side note. Here. Side note before we start. So this is one where he showed me the video like for Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And I was watching the video and I just like I didn't quite get it. It didn't quite click with me. And he was like waffling back and forth. And finally he's like, well, I backed it. Okay. So we get it, first playthrough, took me about like three turns, and then it clicked, and I was like, okay, I get this, and then by the end of the game, I'm like, oh, it's over? I was mm-hmm. like, man, I want to play some more. <laughs> yeah, so this is one, the, the theme of the game is you're trying to take air, and you're trying to isolate the different elements in air, and you're trying to specifically isolate the xenon 
so then you can bottle that up and and use that to fulfill um, different contracts that get you victory points in the end of the game. So your original deck is built up of two air packets, and the air packets um, are made up of four elements. It's nitrogen, oxygen, um, krypton, which is... <laughs> I, I don't know what they subbed out, but obviously krypton is and not xenon. a thing. And xenon. And on, on your turn, you actually you draw a hand of cards, and then you can, you can actually lay the cards out on the table because there's nothing like hidden you have to keep in your hand from your opponent. And you follow this turn structure... Um, that you do on your turn. So the first thing you do is you try to distill the elements. So there's a hierarchy. Um, it goes nitrogen, oxygen, krypton, and xenon. So you distill um, the basically the earliest element that you have. So if you have two nitrogen in your hand, for example, you distill. You can get both of them out of your deck and back into their into the the stockpile for those. But if you have no if you have no nitrogen and no oxygen, but you have krypton, then you can just get rid of the krypton. The, what you're trying to do is you're trying to make it so that you just have xenon in your hand because if you can isolate the xenon, then you can actually bottle it up. And during the game there's different contracts that you can acquire. Um and the contracts usually will get you money and victory points. Um and each contract calls for a certain number of xenon um isolations that you've done earlier in the game. So once you've done the distillation process, um, you can either get new air. Um, basically, you can get a packet of air, um, which is a whole you know, a set of the four different elements added to your deck. Um, you're going to have to do this often because getting air not only gives you a little bit of money, but it's the only way to introduce more xenon into your deck as well so that you can be able to isolate it later on. Um, or you can wipe... The card, one of the card rows that here that's on the t- on the game as well. So you have like a stock of two different decks of cards. You have your contract deck and you have your upgrade deck. Um, the contracts we talked about already. Uh, the upgrades are special abilities that you can acquire, um, and you can do one of two things. You can pay the cheaper cost to get the ability and add it to your deck. And basically, when you draw that card, you can play it to do its ability. And this might be like you know, isolate a particular element um, mm-hmm. for free or like one of the ones you start with is when you when you decide to take air, you can actually get two packets of air and get more money instead of just the one packet of air that you can normally do. So upgrades let you, you know, give you special abilities that you can use. The other thing you can do with these upgrades, you can actually pay money to install them onto your distillation console. And when you install them, not only is it worth a victory point at the end of the game, but you also get to use the ability on that upgrade every single turn. If you want to, so that makes it even better. Um, and that's one of the victory conditions: is if someone installs five upgrades, that'll trigger the end of the game. And then what you do after that is you can either purchase one of the cards that'll be dealt out. There's four cards in each of the rows, um, or you can bid on them. And bidding is basically you take one of your player tokens and you put them on one of the cards. Um, doing this is twofold. Number one, it makes it so that if another player takes that card, um, they actually have to pay you a dollar for every bid token that you have on it. Or if you end up buying the card later, then you actually get a dollar discount for every bid token that you have on it. Um, and that's that's basically the game, is you're trying to you know get the Xenon, you're trying to fulfill as many contracts as you possibly can, get as many victory points as you possibly can, and um, at the end of the game, whoever has the most points will win. Um, like you said, this was one that we really enjoyed going through. Very much so. I I immediately took to this one. Yeah. Well, we don't really have a game like it. You know what I mean? Right. But like I said, from the from the video that you showed me of the gameplay, mm-hmm. I was bored. Yeah. And I didn't quite get it. But now that, you know, when I actually got it in my hands and we were playing it 
because you know me, I if there's one thing I tell you, he sits here and he does all these rules explanations with me. I'm like, babe, I learn better by doing. Mm. Shut up and just play. I don't know why you still because there's because there's it. some things you have to know in advance. You know what I mean? It's it's no fun playing a game where like, hey, when this happens, something awful is going to happen, and you not know about that because then it smacks you at left field. And you that's mean no like good. the cloven hooves that came up behind me? Well, no, that's not, that's nothing to do with the rules mm-hmm. explanation. That's just uh, an unpleasant surprise that Eldritch Horror gave us. But we're straying off course. Xenon Profiteer. Um, yeah, like I said, there's not... Two co- enthusiastic thumbs up. Well, yeah, like I said, there's not, there's not any game that's kind of like this. Because, again, it's not really a deck builder. Um, it's more about purging your deck of cards as fast as you possibly can. So I said it's a deck thinning game. Yep. Um, I also enjoy the competition between the different like contracts, especially with the players. Yeah, this guy here. He screwed me over pretty big. Mm-hmm. In that game. Well, you can use those bid tokens to not not necessarily just reserve cards that you want, but just also reserve cards that you might not want, but you know the other player does, so that you can force them to to pay up for those I'm when they get them. I'm speaking of that. What's that? I'm speaking of the contract that I could not fulfill. Because well, that's what you, I'm saying. Yeah, jerk. Well, that's that's part of the game. So, like I said, lot lots of um pleasant surprise this one. Um, I mean, I wasn't expecting it to be bad, but I don't think I was expecting it to Enough be... Enough to make up for the fact that you went on and on about how much it cost to ship. Well, I, like I said, I, <laughs> I, I don't mind... So, side, you know, soliloquy here. I don't mind paying shipping costs for Kickstarters, but I, I wish they would just keep bundling it in with the price. Like, if you're going to make me pay the 9 bucks, that's fine. I don't mind paying the shipping, but just let me know what the total pledge amount is up front instead of... I don't know. Taking feels, my pledge out and then later saying, "Okay, you owe, owe me this much for shipping." Well, it feel it's it's doesn't feel bait and switchy, but it, it's kind of that same feeling. Like I'd rather just know what shipping's going to be up front in the pledge rather than find so, out later. So you like how like when we get tickets off of StubHub and now that you can put it where you can mm. see all the fees well, added into the, the ticket reason, price now. Well, the reason they do it that way is because obviously it costs different amounts of money to ship to different countries, and they don't want to do a tier for I every that, country. But, but I don't. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's just a minor grape on my part and a completely off topic. Xenon Profiteer is a great game. Um, I definitely recommend that you guys check it out. I just remember an inordinate amount of mouth about the shipping. Okay. <laughs> so that's all for what we've been playing. Um, when we come back, we will get into our 2015 two-player games of the year. So stay tuned for that. So um, 2015 is is coming to an end. This is the last show that we'll be doing in 2015. So it seemed like a good time to do our 2015 um, two-player game of the year. I guess you can call them awards if you want to, even though we have no awards to give. So No. no. Just, just our enthusiastic seal of approval, yes. I guess. So, so we actually um, we played quite a give few new the, games in 2015. Give it the, uh, what, cal- what can we call it? The, the T-Cubed Awards. I'm, no, we're not calling it that. Um, so, like I said, I, I, we hope to make this an annual thing. Um, couple, couple notes though. Obviously, this is based. This is not meant to be a comprehensive list of games this that come out in 2015. Well, it's, it's based off of what we played. So we haven't played every new release that came out in 2015. Um, so we're gonna, you know, obviously it's. And just a note. I'm sure that some of you, if you look these up, it'll say that it was released in 2014, but we were doing it based on like games that we received. Like if we got it off a of Kickstarter, it might have been released. You well, I was, know. I was trying to do it based on when it was available 
either received via Kickstarter or available at retail. Right, basically. right, right. That's, so, what, that's what I mean. I just wanted to put that out there so that people aren't like, oh, hey, that wasn't a 2015 game. And then also remember that these are specifically tailored around two-player experiences. So, like, for example, Codenames is a game that we loved that came out in 2015, a game that you've no doubt heard a lot of buzz about. It's not in any of our list because it's not the greatest two-player game now, is. is it great when you have a bunch of friends over? Oh, yes. Right. But yeah, this this is specifically focused on on two-player gameplay um, and our two-player experiences with these games. So um, we came up with seven categories. We did. We did. And we have three, uh, basically three games for each one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will start with the our favorite Euro games uh, from 2015. And this was probably this was the one the that we debated the most. One. We definitely had a few bit of debates over this. This in Game of the Year, I think we were yeah. arguing about this. Because the Euro game category, there was a lot of really strong games that we wanted to put in this. It was hard to narrow down to three. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of games that we got that we really enjoyed. Um, but we, like I said, we, we had to cut it down. Um, so for number three... Um, the Voyages of Marco Polo. Which, coincidentally, we just played last night. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Marco Polo is an excellent game. Um, plays really well with two players. Uh, it's one of those games where you there's so much you want to do, but very little time to do it. Yep. Plays very quickly. Very, very strong, like, medium-heavy, heavy Euro game. Very good. Yep. Uh, number two on the list was Brewcrafters. Yes. The game that makes me never need... To own Agricola, basically. <laughs> the game that got us drinking beer again. <laughs> yeah. Well, dry, d- drinking different types of beer. Yeah. So, great, great Euro game from Dice Hate Me. Um, we really enjoyed this one quite a bit. Especially after we got our game trays. Right. Makes things a lot easier on setup. And number one, um, we decided to give our favorite Euro game, two-player 2015, to Scoville. Mm-hmm. Um, which was a bit of a surprise to me because it has some elements, um, specifically the auction, that typically don't work very well with two players. But it really does in this one. Yeah, it works really well. Um, not only because I, I think the thing that makes the auction in Scoville work the best is because there is also a benefit to going last as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not as simple as cut and dry as, oh, I'm, I want to make sure I go first. It's, oh, it depends on what you want to do that turn that's going to that's going to inform right. how you bid. So, um Scoville, our number 1 Euro game for 2015. Yes. Um next we will venture into land of co-op games since this is tabletop for two. Mm-hmm. We are always on the lookout for good co-op games. So, number 3 on the list is actually a recent acquisition mm-hmm. and that is Burgle Brothers. Yes, Burgle Brothers from Tim Fowers. We talked about it last episode, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, fun little co-op heist game. Um, lots of variety in it. Lots of characters, the different layouts, the way that they yep. can be done. Um, very great game to add to the collection for very that as much well. So. Love it. Um, number two for us was Legendary Encounters uh, Predators, which I wrestled with putting on because it's very similar to the Alien version, but I'm, I'm going to put it on there because it took that the alien experience that they did the complete cooperative um experience and kind of they added a lot of new card abilities um to make the different sets feel more distinct whether you're playing predator one or predator two plus you can play as the predators yeah that's got nothing to do with cooperative play yeah that's a competitive thing i know but i really liked that but yeah, we we really we played Legendary Encounters a lot. It's probably I mean we talked about it when we did our top deck building games. It's one of our favorites, um, and it was a really fun co op experience. That and some of the card names in there are fantastic. Mm-hmm. 
They will make you laugh. Uh, number one on our <laughs> list of co-op games. Surprise, surprise. Pandemic Legacy. As if it could be anything else. <laughs> yeah, we, we've fallen into the into the pit along with everybody else <sighs> for this one. It's so good. It is very good. Um, it's And it's been fun with two. I want to play some more Baba. I'm sure you do. So it's um yeah, it's Pandemic Legacy is a great, unique gaming experience. Everybody should check it out. Um, and we've we've been enjoying it. Where are we up to August of right now? I think so. Yeah, I think so. We're getting we're getting close. We're getting close. But we've had this for what? How long now? A few months. Yeah. And we're stretching it out as far as we can. Yeah, we, did, we didn't just, binge on it. The problem is, I just want to play so much. I know. Like I just want to keep well, playing. Mark the mark of a great game. So Ugh, so yeah, Pandemic Legacy, our our favorite co op game of the year. Um, so we do quite a bit of Kickstarter backing, so we, we thought it'd be cool to do a, uh, a Kickstarter award um, for our favorite Kickstarter games of the year. Um, and this one, we also not only are you know, going to talk about gameplay with this one, but also production value and just like the complete package, because with Kickstarter, sometimes that part of it um, is very hit or miss. So number three, um, Brewcrafters. Nicely produced game, as as usual from Dice Hate Me Games, um, and like I said, we talked about in the Euro game segment, lots of fun um, Euro game action as well with that. Uh, number two on our list, <laughs> we actually had a fight about this one. Mm-hmm. Um, was the Gallerist, which was also a recent acquisition. The component quality in this is fantastic. I think the gameplay is off the charts as well. I was. This was the one we argued most about because I wanted this on the Eurogame list. And yeah. Emily liked Marco Polo much, much more. And she was much more adamant about uh, getting that one on there. But Actually, there was something else besides Marco Polo, but that's the only one that we was, could that agree was on. Com- <laughs> that was, that was not our compromise, but our, uh, yeah, where we could find middle ground with. Right. So, um, but yeah, Gal- Gallerist, I think the, the production value puts it over the top of the charts, and that's why it's on the Kickstarter list. Um, but a great, great. Euro game from Eagle Griffin this year, mm-hmm. and uh, number one. Yep. Well, number one was Scoville. Of I mean, course. it was uh, you know again not not just we talked about the gameplay, but again the production value amazing from Tasty Minstrel. Um, you have the the little the peppers, different sized chili peppers. Yeah, and they're not just different. Uh, they're nice little. Well, most of them are nice little wood bits, except for the ghost peppers or the resin, mm-hmm. and they're all different sizes. And oh, they're fantastic. I love them. Yep, but really, really great, uh, really great game. Um, and again, a pleasant surprise. I wasn't expecting Scoville to be as good as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, next was our small box games. Uh, what would you, I mean. I mean, games that come in a small package, usually a little bit cheaper, like sub $30, I think, for all of these games that we have on our portable. list here. <laughs> yep, very, very much so. <laughs> but but ones that still give you a really full experience, Um despite the smaller size this was tough because we had a bunch of games that were we did. really good um uh, our number three could easily have been a number one as well i think as much as we've enjoyed it since we've gotten it and that was tiny epic galaxies mm-hmm. this packs a lot lot of game into such a small box yep and this was um th- i mean by far we have all three of the tiny epic games this is i think our favorite for sure. Oh yeah. Um, kind of, t- you know, kind of feels a little like Roll for the Galaxy Light yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, I can see that. Yeah, solid game. Two players, you can play it within a half an hour. Yeah. Okay. 
So number two, um, re- recent acquisition for us, but one that we've played several times since we got it, and that is Seven Wonders Duel, the uh, two-player specific version of Seven Wonders. Love it. Yep, we went into great detail within our last show, but this one's a lot of fun. Um, if you like Seven Wonders, but you play two players a lot, you, you, like you want to get the it. the hinky third player and the two-player experience. Yeah, you know. this is a really good one. Um, number one for us was Patchwork. Yes. It's one of those. Uh, I call oh, it's a it must have if you if you're two play, if you play with two players. Well, and this one scratches two itches because it scratches my love of board games and my love of Tetris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's I mean it's got some puzzle aspects to it, um, but yeah, Patchwork's such a great um, great puzzle and it's one that really feels rewarding the more you play it. Because I remember when we first played it, we did so awful. We did horribly. We both had I think we both had negative scores and oh, yeah. it was it was really gross. But uh, it's something we we've learned how to play the game well. Since we got it, um, very replayable, very interactive and, and sort of cutthroaty in a uh-huh. lot of ways as well. Um, so, yeah, Patchwork's a terrific small box game. Um, you must get it yeah, if, you, it, if you play it, two it players. If you are like us and it's just the two of you playing a game and that's what it is most of the time, this should be a staple in your collection. So the next category, um, this is card games. Um, so basically games where... Cards are your primary component. You might have some tokens here or there for this category, um, but no boards or anything like that. The card play is definitely what drives the Cards gameplay. Cards are everything. Yes. Um, so for number three, a small two-player specific uh, micro game, um, but Eminent Domain Microcosm made the list for us here. We have played the crap out of this game. We have. Um, we it's It captures the feel of Eminent Domain, but it packs it into a game that you can knock out in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, immensely replayable. Lots of fun, um, very good. This is one like, filler game. where I haven't wanted to. I wanted to go lay down, and he's like, "Well, I'll just bring it upstairs." And we played this in bed before, yeah, so it takes up I'm, a very small footprint. Yeah, it's it, it's perfect. Excellent distillation of the eminent domain yes. experience. So, yep. Um, number two is Motainai. Yes, Carl Chudik, um, kind of a pseudo sequel to Glory to Rome. Um, multi-use cards. Um, lots of tableau building in this one. Very, uh, very hard game to wrap your mind around, but very rewarding. Um, yeah, because I remember the first couple times we played, we we had the print and play. Mm-hmm. First couple times we played, I'm just like, I don't get it, honey. You're like, it'll come, it'll come, it'll come. Okay, now I get it. <laughs> yep, and it's and I mean, makes you really you know pay attention to your opponents because what your opponents do has a huge impact on your turns as well. So yeah, Matainai. Very good choice. Um, number one, we talked about earlier in the show, um, Xenon Profiteer has made quite an impression on us in a very small amount of time. And that's definitely a mainstay for our collection. Oh, um, yeah. It's our favorite card game that came out this year. I'm telling you, this is one, I mean, we've literally only played it once. I'm ready to play right now. I was trying to get him to play before we recorded the show this evening, but mm. we decided on Deus instead. Um, but yeah, seriously, I, this I can't say enough good things about this game. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> uh, next is thematic games. Yep. Um, so th- this is—I mean, this is kind of a catch-all category for us. Yeah, I would say. So the number three on our thematic games is Forbidden Stars. Yes, this is a um, kind of a uh, not a war game, I guess, like area control game of sorts from Fantasy Flight. It takes place in the Warhammer 40k universe which we care very little about. Um, but the gameplay on this one is fun. I think we finally found 
um, that game that has, you know, like that Game of Thrones-esque or Rune Wars-esque style of game, but that plays well with two players and can be played in under... In a reasonable amount yeah, of time. Yeah, under three hours. Um, so that's uh, so that was a pleasant surprise to find for us. Um, number two, uh, Wombat Rescue. Again, another game that's made a good impression on us in a very brief amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know you could make controlling wombats and pooping very fun. thematic and fun, <laughs> but uh, but this game manages to do well. Obviously, it abstracts things a little bit, but it, you definitely capture the... Uh, Though I think I was getting on his nerves when I was saying, Dingoes ate my baby. You were. So... <laughs> Uh, number one, and this one was one that I was just like, oh my God, super excited as soon as I saw it. And that was Flick 'em Up. Yes. I was so excited when I just saw this game. Like, I, I remember I was flipping through our Twitter feed the one night and I saw a picture. I'm like, honey, what is this game? And he's like, oh, that's Flick 'em Up. And he's like, but I was going to get this game instead. I'm like, no, I want this one. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's super cute with this little Western town. It's got like the little facades for the buildings. You have little cowboy and outlaw you know mm. meeples and they have little hats and oh my god it's adorable i yeah. love it yeah very cool dexterity game um scenario driven yes times. but please if you can build a barrier around your table because things go flying off the table if you don't you just gotta be careful that's all so very yeah flick them up a lot of fun very cool um, so that leads us to our game of the year overall. Um, so like I said, these are these three games are going to be the games that we recommend the most that came out in 2015. Probably the ones we played the most, too. Yeah, if you're looking for really fun uh, two-player experiences. Um, so number three um, is our small box game of the year winner. Um, that would be Patchwork mm-hmm. from Uwe Rosenberg. Yes. Oh, I, that's another one I just... Well, we thought we would never find an Uwe Rosenberg game that we liked until we Mm -hmm. found Patchwork. Yep. And then that just opened us up to, you know... Well, it's very different than his other games, though, so... But, yeah. Great game. Please, please, if you are like us and you are, you know, a two-player team here, Mm -hmm. please get this game. Do yourself a favor. Um, Number two is a dual winner. Well, these are all... All these were dual winners, obviously. No, they're not. This one's a winner in two categories, in our Euro oh, and our okay. Kickstarter. I see what you're saying there. And that was Scoville. Yes. So, yeah, we talked about it before. Scoville, great game. Um, surprisingly great game with two players. It's one of the ones I was looking forward to probably the most. That's because you're a nerd, but... <laughs> yeah, this guy, he's like, so there's this game called Scoville on Kickstarter. I was like, you mean like the peppers? And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, that's the measure, the heat of peppers, the Scoville scale. And he's like, how did you know that? I said, yeah. I watch Food Network. Come on. <laughs> so um, number goes, one. Nerd. So our number one, so Tabletop for Two's two-player game of the year. Um, we're not do, going do, do, to be, well, we're not going to be, I, I have a feeling this is going to end up on a lot of people's game of the year list as the overall choice. Yes. And that's Pandemic Legacy. We're not going to drift too far off board here. It's just a great game. It is. Just a great game. Um, we've had so much fun with it. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, so and, and like I said, we've been, you know, compelled to get it to the table a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nor, like we've played that nine so times tired, so far. If I wasn't so tired, I'd say let's go play a game right yeah. now. I mean, we've played it nine times within two months, which for us is very rarefied air. There's not too many games that we've played with that regularity. Um, and like I said, the unique experience it gives you... Um, you know, the surprises that you can unlock well worth it. If, and don't, 
I, I don't be one of those people that gets hung up. Well, once I'm done playing, I can't play anymore. It doesn't matter. You're gonna. It's it's an experience that you can't find and anywhere else. Don't get hung up on saying like having to destroy pieces from the game. This one here, I was very like, oh my god, do I really have to rip a card up? So for like the first five things that we had to rip up and throw away, he made me do it. Mm-hmm. So now I'm just like, ah, give me the card, whatever. <laughs> so, but yeah, so that is uh, so that is our kind of tabletop for two. Game of the Year awards. Um, hopefully, you guys uh, maybe might be surprised by a few of those. Maybe not. Uh, we'd love to hear yours. Definitely uh, let us know what you guys, what your guys' favorite two player games were this year uh-huh. um, on Facebook or Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's it. So yeah, so our next episode um, won't be on our two week schedule. Um, we'll actually wait an additional week beyond that. So I think whatever the first Friday in we're January. Gonna, our next show is going to be in 2016. Right, right. So this is our last one for 2015. So, um, I mean, really, thank you guys that have that are listening. Um, we really appreciate it. Like I said, we started doing this in May. Um, you had no clue what to expect. No. Because this is a first time thing for you. I'm, I still I'm have no clue what I'm doing. Done other podcasts before. But you, uh, you tell me I'm getting better. I have no idea. Yeah. Well, I've had a lot of fun. I hope well, you I, have. I, I don't. I'm not like you. I don't listen to our podcast after we do them because I don't like the way I sound on anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, but yeah, like I said, if, for those of you that have listened and are listening to the show, thank you very much. Um, we hope that you'll continue to enjoy it into 2016 and beyond. And, you know, if you have friends that play as well, especially two players, you know, let them know about the show, spread the word so we can make it even bigger, hopefully in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and just a reminder that we are also affiliated with the Nerdpocalypse Studios Network. Uh, check out the other shows on the network, including the Nerdpocalypse, Dense Pixels, Black on Black Cinema, Mouthful of Toast. You can also become a premium member. Um, you're going to get weekly episodes of Airing of Grievances and Look Forward. You get monthly episodes of No Time to Bleed and The Men with the Golden Tongues. Um, it's only $5 a month or $50 a year to subscribe to that. Um, again, at Tabletop for Two, you can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram with that. Um, and with that, I think we're going to close it out and uh, and head on into the new year. Yes, sir. Here, so um, thanks. I think, we plan, <laughs> I think we plan on ringing in the new year playing games, correct? That's kind of become our tradition, tradition yes. of sorts, yeah. So we'll definitely be doing that. Hopefully we can get our, uh, our get-to-the-table solid for next show, which right now we are a uh, awesome over four on. <laughs> But hopefully we'll remedy that later on. But again, thanks again for listening. Yes, um, thank you guys so much. Yep, we'll see you next episode. Until then, later. Bye.